If you knew you had just a couple of hours left to live, who would you want to talk to and what words would you say? I would assume for most of us that we would want to speak to those whom we love and we'd want to share words of hope, of encouragement, and maybe even direction. When somebody has the opportunity to do this, to think through their last words and to speak them to those people they love, it can have an incredible impact on those who hear them. It gives them hope. It gives them encouragement or or this direction. Um, But more importantly, it it reveals the heart of the one who's speaking them. It reveals what they're experiencing as they approach death and shows where their their hope is, their, their joy is, or maybe what they're fearing. Well, today we come, we continue our series on the last seven words of Jesus. And these words are are similar. They're spoken to those whom Jesus loves and for them. And they give us encouragement. They give us hope. They give us direction. But they also show us the heart of Jesus. They show us what he's experiencing on the cross. And so we come to the fifth saying this morning in John 19, where Jesus has been crucified And he's on the cross and he utters the words, I thirst. Now, when we come across these words, I thirst, we might be tempted to think that they are not as important as perhaps the the phrase before where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or the phrase after where he says it is finished. But what I want you to see this morning is that this phrase, I thirst, also reveals a great deal about Christ and what he's experiencing and what He's doing on the cross. And so what I want us to see this morning is that there's three things in particular that this phrase, I thirst, reveals to us about Jesus and what He's doing on the cross. So we'll look at all three. The first is that Jesus suffered physically. The second is that Jesus fulfilled Scripture. And the third is that Jesus provided for our thirst. So He suffered physically, He fulfilled Scripture, and He provided for our thirst. Join me in verse 28 of John 19, and we'll begin with looking at how Jesus suffered physically when He said, I thirst. This passage begins in in verse 28, right after Jesus had just provided for His mother by telling John to take care of her in verses 25 through 27. So He speaks these words in verse 28. John writes, After this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said, I thirst. John prefaces Jesus saying, I thirst, with knowing all that was now finished. So Jesus said, I thirst, after he was, when He was knowing that all things were coming to an end. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' declaration of thirst comes near the end of His sacrifice on the cross. His work of dying a sacrificial death was nearly complete. It comes at the very end. At this point, Jesus would have felt death coming over him. Perhaps like you and I may feel death, I mean, feel sleep coming over us when we lay down in our beds at night. Jesus begins to feel the wave of death crashing towards him. And this is experienced in his sense of unquenchable thirst. Consider how the German theologian Friedrich Krumacher describes this in his book, The Suffering Savior. He describes Jesus' thirst like this. He says, The blood vessels of His sacred body are almost dried up. 
A dreadful fever rages through his frame. His tongue cleaves to his jaws. His lips burn. And Krumacher concludes, There is scarcely a greater torment than that of insatiable thirst. So this phrase reminds us again of the incredible suffering that Jesus experienced on our behalf. And as we'll see, there's incredible spiritual significance behind this phrase. But Jesus was not just saying it. He was not pretending to be thirsty just to point to the spiritual significance. He really was physically, desperately thirsty. This was part of him bearing the effects, experiencing the effects that our sins have caused, the pain and suffering that our sin has brought into this world. And he experiences it acutely at this moment on the cross when he experiences and declares this thirst. So this Good Friday, as we consider Jesus dying on our behalf, hear the cry of Christ. Hear him with parched tongue and dry mouth crying out, I thirst. See him experiencing the agony of the pain and suffering that our sin caused so that He could eventually remove that pain and suffering and sin from our lives and the world to come. However, this experience of thirst was not just a random effect of the fall that Jesus experienced, but it was a specific effect. It had a specific purpose. And John tells us that that purpose was to fulfill the Scripture. And so this brings us to the next revelation, if you will. The first was that Jesus suffered physically, but secondly, He fulfilled Scripture. So look back with me at verse 28. John says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. John tells us plainly that Jesus' statement, fulfills scripture. And this is helpful for us because when we read, I thirst, we probably wouldn't naturally think, oh, Jesus is fulfilling scripture. But John says that he does. And so what scripture might John be referring to here? He he doesn't give us a specific reference. So which ones do you think he might be referring to? Well, most would say there could be several Psalms, there could be several verses, but most explicitly, probably at least two Psalm 22 and Psalm 69. Both of these are psalms that was written by the psalmist in a a moment of suffering and agony. And many would say that these are messianic psalms that point to the suffering servant who's going to pay for his people's sins. So first we'll take a look at Psalm 22. Both Matthew and Mark record in their gospels Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the first opening line of Psalm 22. And when Jesus says that, that would have brought to mind the rest of the psalm and shows that, showing that He was the perfect fulfillment of all that happened in that psalm. But later down in the 15th verse of Psalm 22, the psalmist writes this. He says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. The psalmist's experience of suffering and forsakenness, he describes it as a loss of strength, as an unquenchable thirst, and as a feeling of death. 
And Jesus fulfills the scripture as the one whose strength really is drying up, who really had an unquenchable thirst, whose tongue really did stick to his jaws, and who really was laid in the dust of death. And that's Psalm 22. And secondly, Psalm 69. In the first three verses of this psalm, the psalmist writes, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there's no foothold. I've come to deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Ironically, the psalmist describes himself as sinking in deep waters, as the flood come, coming over him, yet he's thirsty. And he goes on to say that he looks for pity, he looks for relief, but he's only given sour wine to drink. He says in verse 20 of Psalm 69, I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. So Jesus fulfills this psalm, this scripture, as he actually drowns in the deep waters of God's wrath, yet he's thirsty. But he also fulfills it that he also looks for pity, yet he's only given sour wine to drink. He looks for a quench to his thirst. Yet verse 29 of our text of John 19 says this, A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they, meaning the Roman soldiers, put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Jesus fulfilled Psalm 69, even down to this small detail of being given sour wine to the quench of his thirst, which would have been no quench at all. The fact that Jesus fulfills Scripture in this phrase is of great encouragement to us. Just like the last words we mentioned in the beginning, they give us encouragement and hope and direction. How so? Well, because Jesus is in essence saying, as he experiences thirst, he's reminding us everything is going according to plan. Everything is going as it has been written. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 18 that everything that was written in the prophets about the Son of Man would be accomplished. And this was one of the things that was written about him, that he would thirst and that it would be accomplished. So look to Christ. Look to Christ as the one who perfectly fulfilled the scriptures. And recognize that even though the Jews, the Romans, and Satan meant this for the greatest evil in the world, God meant it for the greatest good according to His plan and was bringing His plan for our salvation to fulfillment. Even down to the finest details of Christ's thirst and the sour wine. This is the God we worship who makes promises and fulfills them to the finest detail. So we've seen that Jesus suffered physically when He said, I thirst. And we've seen that Jesus fulfilled Scripture when he said, I thirst. But we must ask the question, why thirst? Why was thirst even a part of the scriptures that needed fulfillment? Why was it there in the first place? And, and why does Jesus need to say, I thirst in fulfillment? 
And we'll find that answer in this final revelation where we see that Jesus provided for our thirst. He provides for our thirst when he declares, I thirst. And to see this point, we've got to go back to the beginning, back to Adam and Eve, whom God created in a garden that was perfect for them. It had all the food that they could have wanted. They had the presence of God among them. And it also states that there was a river in the garden that was the source of four other great rivers of the east. So they had food, they had the presence of God, and they had abundant water. They had no death, no hunger, no suffering, and no thirst until until they disobeyed God and broke His commands and ate from the one tree, the tree of life that He commanded them not to eat. And God sent them out of the garden where they would experience the effects of their sin, which included pain, suffering, hunger, death, and thirst. And all of these things pointed to what they had lost in the garden, intimate communion and fellowship with God. Their sin created that separation. Their sin brought on their hunger, their pain, and their thirst. And this is the state that all of mankind finds ourselves in, that when we sin against God, and we all do. But God in His mercy and grace called a man named Abraham and promised to bring him back to God and promised to make a people out of Abraham for God's own glory. And this people was the nation of Israel. And God made a covenant with these people. He made them a promise to be their God and for them to be His people. But this covenant, this promise included commands that if were kept would lead to blessing from God. But if they were broken would lead to covenant curses from God. And one of these primary curses was thirst. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 48, God warns the Israelites that they'll be sent into exile if they go after other gods, if they break His commands, if they commit idolatry. And He says this, that you will be sent into exile where you will serve your enemies in hunger, in nakedness, and thirst. And in Hosea 2, God commands Hosea to plead with Israel to abandon their idolatry and to come back to God. And in Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, he says this, Plead with your mother to Israel. Plead with Israel to put away whoring from her face and her adultery from her breasts, lest I make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. In Isaiah, God similarly warns His people that if they don't turn from their idolatry, He will make them like a garden without water. Isaiah 1 verse 30. And God's people, we know, do forsake Him as we all do. And God describes this in Jeremiah 2. He says, My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they have dug their own cisterns that can hold no water. And this is what we all do. And the people of God were sent into exile. And in Lamentations 4, Jeremiah describes their judgment by describing the thirst of their children. But there's hope. 
these very same prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, prophesy about a coming servant that will suffer on behalf of the people to save them and to reconcile them to God. Isaiah in, verse, in chapter 32 says that there is a coming servant who will become king, who will lead his people, in verse 2, to become like streams of water in a dry place. And when this servant, when this king comes, Isaiah 55 says that this, this, this um, offer will be given. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And for those who come, Isaiah promises, they shall be like a water garden, a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Isaiah 58, 11. So here's the point. Thirst was a picture of judgment. It was a sign of our broken relationship with God. What Adam and Eve lost in the garden, what we have lost. It was a picture of our sin, a physical representation of our death by spiritual dehydration, our need for salvation and our need for someone to come and to bear this thirst curse, if you will, and give us living water. That's who Isaiah, that's who Jeremiah prophesied about. And that's who Jesus is. And we see this in John 4 verses 13 through 14 where Jesus meets a woman at a well and he says this, Whoever drinks of this water, meaning the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he says this again in John 6, 35. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the third thing that the statement I thirst reveals to us about Jesus. That he is providing for our thirst. Jesus, the fountain of living water on the cross declares, I thirst. Why? Because He's bearing our curse. He's bearing our thirst and He's going to give us His spring of eternal water welling up to eternal life. And He does this by taking our place, by bearing our judgment, by experiencing the wrath of God in our place. And He's going to do this all the way to death. But we know that He rises from the dead and He sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And salvation, living water, is offered to any who come in repentance and faith in Him. The invitation of Isaiah is given in Christ. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And those who come in faith in Christ have their thirst for reconciliation and relationship with God fulfilled for all of eternity. This is what it means for Jesus to be the fountain of living water. This is the glorious truth that we celebrate this Easter. Jesus on the cross saying our thirst is Him thirsting on our behalf so that He can give us eternal life through living water. Have you believed this truth? Have you repented of your sin? Have you come to the waters and trusted Christ and if not, I would implore you, come to Him. Everything else in life will leave you panting, will leave you thirsty after that which only He can provide. And if you have come to Christ, rejoice 
that He thirsted on your behalf. Rejoice that He bore your thirst curse. Rejoice in the eternal life that He has provided you. Savor it, meditate on it, and praise Him who gave us this living water. Isn't God's Word incredible? At first reading, the record of Jesus' thirst might seem just like a minor detail in the crucifixion account. But as we've seen, it actually reveals a great deal about Jesus and what He was experiencing and doing on the cross. We've seen how it revealed that Jesus suffered physically, how it revealed that Jesus fulfilled Scripture, and how it revealed how Jesus provided for our thirst. And I want to conclude by issuing you a challenge to really savor this, to meditate on this, to worship Jesus as the fountain of living water who thirsted in our place on the cross and continue to walk with Him day by day, trusting Him, drinking from Him, if you will, even in the midst of the trials of our world, including the trials that we're currently facing. We're still experiencing the thirst. We're still experiencing the effects of sin all around us. But in this life, we have Christ now and we have the promise that He is leading us home where thirst, where hunger, where pain and death will be no more. And in conclusion, I want you to hear these words. Consider them with me from Revelation 7 verses 15 through 17 about what it says about our home and those who have come to Christ, the fountain of living water. It says this, They are before the throne of God, those who have come to Jesus. They are before the throne of God and serve Him night and day in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb is in the midst of the th- who is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So my brothers and sisters, though we still suffer pain, hardship, suffering, death, and thirst here, it will not always be so. Jesus, who gives us the waters of eternal life, will take us home where these things will be no more. So I encourage you to celebrate and delight in these truths with me today and press on towards that day when we enter our eternal home with Jesus, who thirsted on our behalf, who will continually lead us by living water, by springs of living water forever. Let's pray together. Our great God and Savior, we praise you that though we rightfully deserved to be thirsty for eternity, you gave us Christ who thirsted on our behalf on the cross, who bore the judgment, the penalty for our sins, who raised from the dead. And now when we come to him, when we come to the water, we have life in his name. We pray that you would help us to celebrate and delight in these truths and continually Come to Him in repentance, in faith, and in obedience until that day where we're taken home, where we will be continually led by springs of living water. 
Would you use this word, would you use this message to grow us in Christ, to grow us in our love and our delight and our service to him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.